1: Talk is about
0: to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
2: Back to the Tuesday Buckeye Talk, Doug Lemaurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, 90 minutes of football talk with Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, and Kevin Wilson on Tuesday after Ohio State's sixth practice of the spring. Nathan, I was just feeling it. I was super excited about the whole conversation. Cause I love talking football with coaches, not talking with them, having them talk football to us. And there's a couple of things at play here that are, were why I was so excited and why I'm excited for this pot. One is I was trying to, I came home. I told my wife, my, I had sent out a tweet about, Oh, we bathed in football talk. She's like, Oh, you're all excited about the football talk. So I was explaining to her, it's not just the football talk. It's, it's, not what they say necessarily. It's like, we have theories. We put out a lot of theories on this podcast. So I like it when our theories are and ideas are either corroborated or corrected. I don't care if we're wrong, but I like getting more information that then influences that. So I thought a lot of things like that happened on Tuesday. So we're super excited about that. I also was taking it in contrast to the news conference last week in Cleveland that I was at with Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns where there was almost no football talk and there shouldn't have been, but it was a football conference, a uh, football news conference with no football talk. This was all football talk. Cause I was so it's like, Ohio State doesn't have anything right now. There's nothing holding them back. There's no urban Meyer stuff. There's no Zach Smith stuff. All the guys seem to be in good shape. So that was great. We could just, we're allowed to just talk football. And the other thing I realized only after the fact was no NIL questions. I'm glad you guys can make money endorsing stuff. I just don't care that much. Nobody's asking these people about NIL stuff in the middle of spring practice. So it was pure, unadulterated football, Nathan, and it made me get tingly. Did you guys feel it too?
1: Not sure I like that description. Um, I think the only the only NIL feel, talk was at the feel end. Feel my
2: tangles. Buck Buck I talk.
1: I talk. No, no, no. Rejected. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm veto power on feel my tangles. Um, the only NIL that came up was at the end when uh, we were all sitting around afterwards and not all of us select group. It was Jerry's guys, basically the three of us and, and Bill Landis. And uh, I I said that you know Jim Knowles is calling the Leo the King of the Jungle, but right now they're only calling that position the Jack. We'll get to more of that later for people who don't know what we're talking about. And I said that then Jack Sawyer can get an NIL deal with the Columbus Zoo, and he can be Jungle Jack Sawyer once he's the Leo. That was so good. You get a cut of that.
0: I should get a cut. No, no, no. That's not why it was interesting. It was interesting because while Nathan Baird was saying those words, Bill Landis was literally saying par for par the exact same words. All
2: right. So you got nobody.
0: Share. And nobody said, Jinx, you owe me a soda.
2: The so I so many opportunities. We are we still have the Jack and Zack sack attack, which still should be like a little. It's six little hamburgers at White Castle, the Jack and Zack sack attack. But also there's plenty of room for Jungle Jack Sawyer to make some appearances at the zoo. So we have a lot of good football talk and there's, it it, stuff started off with Cade Stover. We talked to Ryan Day first, then we talked to Jim Knowles, then we talked to Kevin Wilson. And we wound up talking to all of them about Cade Stover because Cade Stover is going from one side of the ball to the other side of the ball. But I don't want to start with Cade Stover because I think a lot of people listening to this by, by now have some kind of handle on that. We'll get to that. Steven, one of the things that crystallized a little bit for me And one of the things that was exciting about Tuesday was we also started putting some names to some positions, which always is good. I like talking theory. I like talking strategy. I like talking mindset. I like talking why coaches think about things the way they do. But it's also nice, hey, who's going to play where? We got some of that. But I want to go to a theory thing first. And Stephen, as as everybody was sort of talking about this Jim Knowles defense and all the multiple looks they gave everybody in practice, And then we were also, we continue to talk about how smart C.J. Stroud is, how he sees the field, how he's more advanced. I really, it crystallized for me a little bit, Stephen, that I really like the idea of C.J. Stroud versus Jim Knowles. And of course, it's Ryan Day versus Jim Knowles and Kevin Wilson versus Jim Knowles. And they said, it's not about winning a drill. It's about making everybody better. But we have gotten over this spring, a lot of conversation about how and Kevin Wilson was saying it again on Tuesday. Hey, the like the offensive guys got to raise their game because Jim Knowles has these multiple looks. But th- I think somebody got a question about C.J. Stroud related to that, Stephen. And I love the idea of Jim Knowles changing the look every snap when they go ones versus ones for C.J. Stroud and C.J. Stroud diagnosing. And I'm excited to watch that unfold. And I'm excited when we come it comes time. To talk to CJ Stroud about that. This spring in August during the season, what he gets from going against a defense in practice like Jim Knowles.
0: And I think he might give a better answer than just, yeah, on Tuesdays, I go against a harder defense and I will against anybody all season. I think they'll actually give you an in-depth answer, and that's why it's an exciting thing. But yeah, his best s- skill set is his mind. And He's in year two, so he's at the point where it's like, I know what I'm doing out here. I got this. They're putting more on my plate, and I can do this. But if you're dealing with a a defensive coordinator who has said it the first time we talked to him about the idea of changing the picture post-snap, I think those were his exact words. If he's showing C.J. Stroud cover one and then snaps the ball and all of a sudden they're in cover four or it's a fire zone or it's Tampa two now whatever he's showing him pre-snap it's switching but then also he might be sending a random blitz from this side or you know he might be trying to you know, bull rush guys up the middle or whatnot it's a, a million different if he's making CJ think that's helping CJ but also it's helping the defense because CJ likes to think and maybe that's a bit of a tongue twister but the idea of like you have a defensive coordinator who his what he wants to do is make an offensive coordinator and a quarterback think more than they want to. But what happens when you're facing a quarterback every day in practice who actually wants to think that who much? wants to think CJ wants to think he
2: wants to be challenged. And one of the things, Nathan, that Jim Knowles says is, hey, listen, there's a hole in every defense. Always. We're just trying to, like, move it or a- trying to move the hole around Buckeye talk. We're trying. So like, it's, there's different things that, you know, there's a soft spot, but you don't want the quarterback to just be able to zero in on that. But he was sort of saying, guess what? CJ Stroud finds it a lot. And I, and I love that idea because as you were sort of saying, Stephen, one of the complaints a year ago was the Ohio state defense was too static before they made the switch. Right. But they're not giving quarterbacks enough to think about But then at that time, you know, C.J. Stroud, as he's coming along, he wouldn't have been there. I'm not so sure if Jim Knowles was getting here last year with new C.J. Stroud, who had never thrown a pass in college football before, I'm not so sure Ryan Day wouldn't be telling Jim Knowles to, like, chill out a little bit in practice. But Jim Knowles is arriving to a defense that needs to be more surreptitious with a quarterback Who is ready to handle that, Nathan? And I like the idea of Noel saying that even as good as I am at calling this, I know it's not perfect, but somehow CJ is sort of able to find those spots that aren't perfect. And I like the cat and mouse. And I think it's going to make both sides of the ball better.
1: Yeah. In some ways, CJ Stroud is the, person that I expect to learn the least about this spring in some ways, even though it is his first spring, having now actually been established as a starter, and there's still potentially so much growth in his game, but I felt like today was a very enlightening day about what this team thinks about C.J. Stroud and the confidence that they have in C.J. Stroud. Kevin Wilson said something very early on in his piece about, I don't think you guys know how good this guy really is or how good he's going to be. He said something about that like, yeah, I know you guys think he's pretty good, but the ceiling is kind of maybe really crazy on him. And I, one of the enlightening things that he said, I love the idea. I'm just sort of fascinated by like savants or and this idea of people who are good teachers who then have to go find those people with just a, a talent that they can sort of push in the right direction. But they, they can't they don't even really know what it's like to have that talent. And, and I thought Kevin Wilson said something that was really revelatory when he was talking about how he can stand behind an offense, having just called the play and he can't see all of the openings. He can't find the open guy the way that CJ Stroud can, which I thought was like, I'd never really thought of it that way before, but this is a guy and I know he wasn't a quarterback, but Kevin Wilson's been coordinating offenses, like impressive offenses at the college level for a long time now. And that that was just like another like light that goes on for me. And I'm sure that's not just true of CJ Stroud. It may be true of even Cam Accords sometimes or whatever, but that, that, that he has a gift that now there's some pressure is not the right word, but responsibility for Ryan day and Kevin Wilson to try to maximize here in the coming year.
0: Wilson said today, a bunch of times and day brings it up a lot with quarterbacks and how the first thing he does after each play is kind of ask, what did you see? Hmm. And I, I feel like that's an interesting question with not And that's not taking anything away from Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. We just haven't seen them yet. I feel like that's a very interesting question to ask CJ Stroud. And I kind of started doing it something like when he would throw picks, it would be like, hey, can you just take us through the pick? And every time he had a good answer for why he threw a pick, even if it was a bad pick, he typically had a good answer for that stuff. And the idea of we're going back to the mind thing of what Deshaun Watson was as a quarterback, all the other stuff is what it is. But the idea of how reporters would sometimes ask Deshaun Watson the most simple question about a play, and he would give the most, uh, I don't want to say complex, but detailed answer into why he did what he did. That's what excites me about T.J. Stroud is just simply being able to go, hey, you threw this ball. Can you tell me what you see here? And then he gives you a four-page answer on it.
2: And we talk about a lot how Jim Knowles came in and he's like this sort of football maniac and he's going to sit in a room and, and design a defense, right? And he'll come out on Tuesday and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I almost feel like C.J. Stroud, and it's just practice, but C.J. Stroud is like Captain America or Spider-Man or whatever. He's the hero. And it was like, we need a new interesting... Villain for the hero to battle in the sequel, because the first the first movie was pretty good. It was pretty good, right? I mean, it it, it wasn't a it wasn't a huge it didn't win any it didn't win any Oscars, right? But it it made some money. People liked it, but now this is one of those where the sequel is going to be better than the original, and it's because you brought in this guy, and maybe he's got like uh you know like maybe he's got like three heads or whatever, and he and they're all bald and he has a gray beard and he has like pencils sticking out of his ears. And he's this guy di- smoke, cigar smoke. He's <laughs> there's a cloud of cigar smoke around him. He's constantly eating sushi and you don't, you brought him in because it is the greatest challenge to our hero, to our hero, CJ Stroud. And I thought one of the interesting things Nathan's, was, was Jim Knowles was, and again, they, they keep saying things like, Hey, We're here to get better. It's not about winning the drill. It's not about trying to beat anybody. But then both Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day and Jim Knowles will sometimes say, like, yeah, but then blah, 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 blah. Like, it's a pain in the neck, you know, that you can also tell there are times when they get beat by the other side in a drill and they don't like it. But the thing that Jim Knowles said is, I hate seven on seven Mm -hmm. because I want a pass rush because he likes what the defensive line is doing. But what what that means to me, Nathan, is I don't like seven on seven. Because if you don't have a pass rush on CJ Stroud, he is going to pick you apart. No matter how smart you are or how good your players are, that's what he's going to do. Because he's the hero of the story.
1: Yeah, I, I think, but that—that in that, some ways, that is the standard. I think maybe that Ohio State quarterback should have at this point. Like, if it's if it's seven on seven and you're an experienced guy, I like. I think you should have the upper hand in that scenario. And but especially where this defense is, I think that's. Um, it, it's a good crossroads. And this defense, I, I would say, if, I'm, if, if I am was looking at it from Jen Mill's perspective, because no one's, I think, judging your performance in seven-on-seven seven against C.J. Stroud, but how do you use that opportunity to when you play Big Ten teams to be able to pretty much completely shut them down? That's the way I guess I would see it. The, 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 these, these still youngish DBs and linebackers that you have, what do they get out of this experience getting just zipped by... CJ Stroud that is going to help them when they play whoever they play over the course of this big team, Sean Clifford and Michigan's quarterbacks. I
2: do think, but if you go back and you think about who's the quarterback, cause you're not, you can't simulate a lot of broken plays. You'll do scramble drills and stuff, but it's not, this is a lot of, we design it, they execute it. And you move on to the next play, Steven, if I, if I go back and I think about, Well, Justin Fields against Jim Knowles. Well, you wouldn't get the full effect of Justin Fields because he kind of likes to hold the ball and make big plays and avoid sex. All right, JT Barrett. Well, JT Barrett's such a run threat, and that's not exactly what what JT does. Well, Cardale Jones. Well, is sort of like this gigantic arm, right? It's maybe not exactly the same thing. And now you're going back to Braxton Miller, and now you're going back to Terrell Pryor, and now you're going back to Todd Beckman, and now you're going back to Troy Smith, and you have this history of really good, college quarterbacks at Ohio State, but I don't think any of them would be challenged by a Jim Knowles defense in the same way. I don't think they would challenge a Jim Knowles defense in the same way in practice, because of course, a lot of those guys are run threats. That's what Ohio State quarterbacks were at a time, but none of them, Stephen, none of them were at the point, the way we talk about CJ with mind, visualization, Eyes diagnose, and that's the kind of quarterback that I think will get the most out of going against Jim Knowles every day. Which is this, I, yeah, people can tell I'm excited. I, I like to get excited about football sometimes, but like this is a thing, and I talk about this a lot. Sometimes things click in for me, and maybe I'm a hundred yards behind everybody else, but this clicked in for me today the brain of C.J. Stroud and the brain of Jim Knowles. And I can't think of an Ohio State quarterback, Stephen, that I would want to see against a Jim Knowles defense in practice more because I think you get pretty much the full C.J. effect in practice, right? I mean, it's not like he can't scramble and make plays on the run, but he's a guy in a system who's going to diagnose stuff. And so you're able to get a good matchup. Without having to say, well, he had a black jersey on. Well, we couldn't go full, right? I mean, I think I think they're really going at each other.
0: It's because he's a better quarterback than all those people you just mentioned, and not and understand what I'm saying there. I'm not saying he's more talented than what Justin Fields and Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor and on down the list were. That's a different conversation. You're we're having a quarterback conversation, and that's the quarterback's job is to be the distributor of the ball and to diagnose defenses and find ways to exploit it. And because of where Ohio State's quarterback lineage has been, C.J. Stroud is just the best at doing that at this stage of his football life. And so you're right. What made those other guys great is what happens when you just have to be a good athlete a lot of the times. What makes C.J. great is what happens when you have to be an actual quarterback. And that's what Ryan Day wants. And that's the evolution of that position over the past four years, four or five years since Ryan Day showed up here.
2: Nathan, you mentioned that you thought we did get a little bit of, we, we got some good conversation about CJ. I was excited enough that I wanted to start off with him. Cause I think to your point, it's easy to be like, ah, I it's like, Hey, did you guys talk about Jackson Smith and Jigber or CJ Stroud today? It's like, no, we talked about who the fifth best safety is. Cause we know those guys are good. Why are we talking about them? But actually, no, we do want to learn more about those guys who are as good at their position as anybody in college football before we leave CJ. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about with him that people talked about on Tuesday about a guy who's going to be one of the two or three best quarterbacks in college football this season?
1: Well, to to kind of finish your other point, I think it's a good reminder that CJ Stroud has to be better this year because everybody's got now a full season of film on him. They'll have a new ways to attack him. They'll have specific ways to attack him, weaknesses that he showed last season, vulnerabilities he showed, and, and how does he respond now to the new ways that he's going to be confronted by defense? So he, he's going to have to be better, and I we, we shouldn't forget that, that that's part of the process that's happening this spring. I thought it was also interesting that in in answering some other questions about the run game, Kevin Wilson brought up that CJ Stroud's an okay runner. He's not an elite runner. He and did that say that adequate. Adequate was an actual word he used, yeah. yeah. And that that is one of the reasons why they feel like they have to find a tight end, and we'll get into more of this with Cade Stover, but they have to find a tight end partially because of what Cade Stover is as a quarterback, and and it sounds maybe like contradictory, that because you have a quarterback who's so great at distributing the ball, they're like, why wouldn't you just put four or five receivers out there? But he he explained that why, because you're you're you can't really do that without a running quarterback because teams aren't going to respect that threat and they're just teeing off on you.
0: Can I can I not agree with the guy who makes a million dollars to do this with that? Because I get why you're saying that, but you played 12 personnel religiously when Justin Fields was your quarterback. And he is like the epitome of what an elite running quarterback looks like. So I don't. That's true, but they
1: knew they had two NFL tight ends at that time.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if, like, C.J. Stroud isn't a great running quarterback, can be at the top of the list of the reasons why you have to have a tight end on the field with the running game. But also, I'm just still with the four wide receiver thing. But I just think that. I, it can be a reason, but I don't know if that needed to be the thing that was named today for why you 100% have to have a tight end on the field. No, no
1: but it wasn't the number one reason. It was just a factor as to why they feel like they have to find a real well, tight end for this offense.
2: The number one reason they have to find a tight end is because they want to play with a tight end. Like, they just don't yeah. want they just don't want to do it. But the idea that if you have a running quarterback, that you can run zone read and you can force, you can put the ends in conflict and you can sort of, um, you can block an end with the with the play rather than having a tight end in there to help do it. I do think it, it makes a little sense, but the point is, yeah, it's not that it's like, well, then why didn't you do four receivers when you had Justin? And it's like, because we didn't want to, even when we did that, we didn't want to. But I think if Justin Fields and more to the point, JT Barrett, because, Justin, really, you still weren't yeah. trying to run zone read with, with Justin all that often. Mm-hmm. If you had JT Barrett as the quarterback, then, and you had questionable tight ends, then maybe you could lean on that. This was like, well, we're sort of pinched with our tight ends, but especially because we don't want to run zone read with our quarterback, we can't really do it. Continuing my superhero analogy before the break. I like the idea of like CJ Stroud and Jim Knowles doing battle and it's like they do battle through the whole movie. But then the thing at the end of the movie is you find out that actually the bad guy kind of comes around to the good guy's side because they weren't really, maybe the bad guy was just misunderstood or something got cleared up or he, you know, he found his daughter and they got back. So now the good, the bad guy comes on the good guy's side. And so by the end of part two, CJ Stroud and Jim Knowles are together, but then like over the hill, they show the new bad guy who's coming and is going to be the main bad guy in part three. And it's Marcus Freeman. And it's like, oh, (laughs) all this Jim Knowles stuff when you thought he was the bad guy, that was just toughening up the hero for the real challenge ahead. And now it turns out that the bad guy, the old bad guy, the Jim Knowles bad guy, he's gonna be like Mr. Miyagi and help train the hero to go against the true evil forces of the guys on the other actual team. And if anybody wants to make a cartoon of this, feel free.
0: I mean they've made a bunch, I mean this is like every other superhero movie. It's Batman versus Superman, Godzilla versus uh, uh King Kong, or it's like, oh, we actually we're fighting each other when like the real enemy is over there. And they figure it out in the third act. And then somebody has to sacrifice their life.
2: Yeah. and then so maybe and that's then, what
0: it is. The defense has to sacrifice to Notre Dame by giving up 45 points the first week. But Ohio State scores 60, so it doesn't matter. That's my then, prediction for the first week.
2: And then they have like the thing where the different timelines all come together. And mm-hmm. it's like Troy Smith and Rex Kern and CJ Stroud. And then the three of them come together to fuck them.
0: <laughs> the ghost of Troy Smith. <laughs>
2: And then that's what propels
0: CJ Stroud to the Heisman. Yeah.
2: I think an Ohio state football superhero movie would actually probably do pretty well. There's enough Ohio state fans out there that I think people would watch it. If Ohio state wants to do that, um, the graphics department, right? I mean, if you don't have enough to do with sending out stuff to recruits, if you'd like to make a full length, like hundred minute feature film, we have ideas for you. When we come back, we'll talk more about the offensive side of the ball. Things we learn beyond stuff about CJ Stroud next on Buckeye talk. Doug, Nathan, and Steven. Boy, oh boy, it's a good text time. It is a good text time, 614 350 3315. And by the way, figured out what I think is going to be the next bracket for us to vote on. I think I won't be in a hurry to roll it out. Maybe I'll start it, but we have spring football coming up through the third weekend of the month. So we're good on stuff to do on the text and on this podcast. But We'll lay the groundwork a little bit, but I think it'll be a lot of end of April and May stuff. And I think it's going to be the 64 best Ohio State wins of this century, which coincides nicely, basically, with the arrival of Jim Trestle. So... It's the Trestle era, the Urban Meyer era. There's at least one Luke Fickle win in there. And then what's happening with Ryan Day? We'll make four regions. We'll have 64 games. Our tech subscribers will vote on all of them, and we will determine the best win. I think it's 229 wins in this century for Ohio State football, which means Ohio State has the most wins and the highest winning percentage of anybody in major college football. So we have a lot to choose from. I got I to gotta figure out exactly. I think we'll do a Michigan game region. I think we'll do a postseason game region, which would be like Big Ten Championship games, bowls, and playoff stuff. And then I'm trying to figure out the rest. We might do like home and away. One of the texters suggested that for every other games that don't fit into those. So anyway, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be fun. I think you guys will like voting on it. But again, we'll talk about it a little bit on the pod here and there. But the best thing is going to be on the text. You have to be a texter to get to do it. So you get to a two week free trial and then you could pay three ninety nine for like a month to finish out the voting. If you want to vote for this. 614-350-3315. In addition to all the football news, basketball news, recruiting news, we always put out on the texts. Nathan Cade Sturber is a tight end. What's up. And do we think this is his last and final permanent position move as a Buckeye?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, regular listeners of the podcast, it was just not that long ago. Maybe it was one of ours that we did last week where, I, and I can't remember if it was just you and I that were talking, but I said something along the lines of, was we were looking ahead to the fall and, and the tight end position. I was like, are we sure that like Kate over will will get to the end of the spring and then see where he stands in the linebacker room, which even if he's pretty decent at it, could be far back because there's like 27 guys in that room or whatever and decide that, you know what, maybe I do want to actually go be the starting tight end instead of a depth linebacker. And I think that's what happened. Jim Knowles was talking about that when he was still working with the linebackers, he was working at sort of that Sam position that was sort of special, a special sub package against two tight end offenses. That was maybe going to be his ceiling. I think defensively, now he's going to go be this team's best tight end, as far as we know, until somebody else proves that they are playing at this level. Um, so I'm a little bit surprised that it happened on the sixth practice, but certainly not shocked. I, I I thought it was like no worse than 50-50 that this was going to be the outcome.
2: How this went through the, this process, Stephen, I'm not surprised. Again, we talked about it. I think that there's a lot of just reality here that – it's going to be harder for Cade Stover to start at linebacker, a position that he has not played very much at Ohio State and that seems to be very full as compared to a position that he played last year and was the number two tight end and does not have a lot of options there. Are you surprised, Stephen, and, and what did you think of the process that here Tuesday was the sixth practice of this spring, 6 of 15? It seems like it was the first one where he was back in the tight end group full time. What did you think of the whole thing and how it evolved?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe we'd get to nine, you know, get to the midway point, And then he'd think about it. But just because it's like he was okay in the roles, but he wasn't great. He, I mean, he played pretty well and he was back in his comfort space. So it was going to come down to how long before that high of I got to play linebacker again wore off before he came back to reality. But I think I'm not shocked it happened either, just because I think what ended up happening here is he probably – this is the first practice he's done it in, but I'm pretty sure they've done enough other stuff where it's like, oh, I'm in like the last group with the linebackers, but I'm always first with the tight ends. Maybe I should come back over here where I can get a lot more reps instead of standing around, looking around at football.
2: Kevin Wilson said something where if you decide to do something for the team, it's not going to stick as much. If you do it for yourself, that, that, makes it more real and and you're maybe more invested in that. And as much as coaches always talk about do stuff for the team, and this happens a lot in basketball. There's a guy who you know wants to be a stretch four, but they need to play, they need to play him in the post under the rim and have him rebound. He's like, okay, I guess I'll do it. But they really let this we all saw every single person saw it's it's certainly better for Ohio State for Cade Stober to be a tight end. But they let him explore this Nathan And at some point, they have to make a decision. And the coaches seem sort of seem to indicate that too. You can't go back and forth forever. You're going to get lost. If he arrived at this on his own, even if he still is a linebacker in his heart, but he is just doing this based on the depth chart and based on reality, but it gets him to be a little more invested because he came to the decision, then it feels like Ryan Day and Jim Knowles and, and Kevin Wilson played this right. And maybe not even played. Maybe that's not the right phrasing. They just were smart to let him go through the steps here. But I think in the end, everybody, all of us on the outside, it seems like this makes the most sense, but it seems better for Ohio State if it's his decision and not
1: theirs and that he got to it seemingly by practice six. It's the same way that Kevin Wilson talked about this decision last January, last December, heading into the Rose Bowl, when we were first asking him about this and the idea that Stover might make a permanent move to linebacker. And that was the way he talked about it then, like he needs to find a place that's permanent for him to develop. But at this stage, it also, we need to stop jerking him around, let him pick where he wants to be. And then we go all in with it at that point. And at the time, that's what seemed to lend more credence to the idea that this might be a permanent switch, the linebacker, because we know that that was where his heart was at the time. That, And especially talking to him in the first minutes after the Rose Bowl, too, which, again, a lot of stuff is happening in, in guys' heads, I guess, at that moment. But you could just read the look on his face and see it in his eyes or whatever. Like the, he, he was psyched that he got out there and played linebacker again and helped them win that game by playing on defense. So all of those things made it seem like if they were going to leave it just purely up to his choice that maybe he would just rather be a linebacker fighting for playing time than even the starting tight end but it uh will be we'll we'll get to talk to him on soon uh thursday actually i think i think we get off to lineman and tight end on thursdays if he Uh, comes out with the tight ends if he comes out with the tight ends so we'll get to we'll get to hear more directly from Cade exactly what led him to this decision because right now we got a lot of things from you know Ryan Day saying like well if you think if you'd ask him he would say this and Kevin Wilson kind of the same thing we'll get it straight from the horse's mouth on Thursday which I think is an expression he of all people would appreciate and Kevin Wilson again they're just somebody asked Kevin
2: Wilson who would he compare to and Kevin Wilson brought up a tight end that he worked with at Oklahoma who I have never heard of but he said was like had a horse and was kind of a country guy and drove a truck, kind of like Cade Stover. And he said he blocked his butt off and he's one of my favorite players ever. And he was a fourth round pick in the NFL draft. And he said, Cade Stover's not there yet, but he could get there. He's the guy that it reminds me of. And that guy got drafted in the NFL and Kevin Wilson loved him which is a heck of a thing to say to the media, to the guy that just came back to your room. Like they keep leaving the, not the, you know, they just, they keep, they're just standing in the doorway with their arms out, waiting for Cade Stover to run across the field into their arms. But They're not going to grab him and drag him there. But Kevin Wilson was like, well, it's not, I'd love to have him in my room, but it's not really up to me. And it's like, no, it's up to Cade Stover. He also talked about G Scott. Man, we talk a lot about tight ends. But A, it's Kevin Wilson's group, and B, it's the most questionable position. At least it was until Cade Stover switched. Talked about G. Scott and Joe Royer. He listed their weight, Stephen, both like in the 230s, mid-230s, high 230s. On Ohio State's roster, Cade Stover is listed as 6'4", 255. They just need a big guy. They, they're saying good things. You know, they're praising G. Scott and Joe Royer. They're just not as big as Cade Stover yet. And they might not be by September. And they need a big-bodied tight end to do the things they want to do. Now that the switch has been made, Stephen, like, is there any doubt that Cade Stover is the number one tight end in that room and any doubt that he's the starting tight end against Notre Dame in the opener?
0: No. And he's actually the tight end that's a lot more important for what they want to do offensively, quite honest with you. Z Scott listed at 6'3", 235, according to the roster they gave us today, and Joe Roy is at 245, 6'5". But both of those guys are – the receiving tight ends, the Y guy and and an offense that doesn't throw the ball. The receiving tight end is less valuable than the inline blocking tight end. And that's what Cade Stover is. So it was a lot more had this been flipped and Cade Stover had gone to be a linebacker, but he was the Y tight end and you just had a room full of inline tight ends. I don't think we'd be talking about this as much because you still have the most important tight end for what you want to do in that pairing available to you. And as a matter of fact, you got options, even if they don't have necessarily the experience to go with it, but because you don't have that because the two inline tight ends are Sam Hart, who didn't do anything as a true freshman last year. And Bennett Christian, who just showed up here a month and a half ago, you're kind of putting yourself in this bind of like, man, we need two receiving tight ends. One of them needs to evolve into the blocking tight end and put on 20 pounds between now and August, you don't have to worry about that anymore because Kate Stover's back. He's your starting tight end. And then when you want to go to tight end, you'll have to put Joe Roy or G Scott on the field.
2: And to the point that you brought up earlier, Nathan, the, the thing that Kevin Wilson went into, Landis was asking about it. Landis and Steven are very excited about the idea of getting four wide, get a tight end off the field. And every time any coach gets asked about it, they say, no. We covered that in a previous podcast. They say, no, we need a tight end. Kevin Wilson was talking about you, you just need to create that extra gap you almost need to create another gap in the run game for the defense to have to account for. And that if you just have four wide receivers and you drop back, they're just going to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. And at some point that's going to affect your passing game. If you don't have enough of a run threat. And yes, I think you can, I think the idea is you can spread a team out, go four wide. And then if you run zone read and you're putting the defense in conflict, if you're, if they're spread out a little bit more, then that quarterback keeps it he can get around the corner and go sometimes but if you're not going to do that it's harder i think to just run straight handoffs and block with five guys because they're still going to have a couple linebackers in the box they're still going to have four guys in the line of scrimmage and it's going to make it harder to run it it just they they very much made that clear nathan and it it just reinforced why they need this and, and why this came around this way, because it's just the way they want to play offense that they don't want really a running quarterback. They, they want to throw it, but they, they want to throw it out of sets and out of personnel groupings that don't give away what the play call is going to be. And they just must have a tight end on the field. And the thing that tight end needs to be able to do more than anything else is block. And that's why this move is so important.
1: And I'm starting to think of Cade Stover also. And I know the urgency is here for how good he has to be now, but I'm starting to look at him through the lens of putting him back into the tight end room. And now he's just a tight end. You're leaving him here and what that's going to mean for the future, because I think he's probably here for this year, and maybe two more years, because I think he's technically a fourth-year junior, right? But he also has the COVID year that he could play with. Does that sound right? I think he was a redshirt freshman in twenty nineteen. He was with the twenty nineteen class. He's listed yes. as a junior, which which means so he'd be a fourth-year junior. Okay. So I think he may have. He may only actually. He may be an only, he may have, this is the first of his next three years. If he plays this right, if he wants it and to think of what he could be, if he keeps developing over that time is also intriguing.
2: Yeah. So it's kind of a big deal. It kind of cleared up a thing that we've been talking about a lot. And everybody's been wondering about a lot and it's for now and the future. And we've just gotten clarity of, they just, they just want to tight end on the field. We got a little more clarity on another offensive position that didn't, I don't know, it didn't necessarily blow our minds, but I sat up in my seat when Kevin Wilson said it. And it's the thing that we've talked about a lot in this podcast, especially when we've talked about, well, the 2023 Ohio state football team be the greatest team in college football history. And we were like, maybe if they have tackles. And it's the idea that Donovan Jackson can be attacked. Donovan Jackson is going to be the starting left guard for Ohio state this year. That got clarified uh, on Tuesday. Donovan Jackson's the left guard. Matthew Jones is the right guard. Luke Whippler's the center. Paris Johnson left tackle. Dewan Jones at right tackle. This isn't one of those where they're going to switch it up in August and surprise us. This is going to be the starting offensive line. There's there's no doubt about that. Barring injury. These are the five guys. But when, when you asked, Nathan, about why is Donovan at Jackson at left guard instead of right guard, I mean, it's a coin flip. What does it mean? You got an answer that gave us – a lens into the future that people, I, multiple of us in that room were like, whoa, that
1: was interesting. No, I. it was really a question where I expected him to give me a technical football reason. To say, well, because Matt Jones does this thing better or Donovan Jackson, because of his athleticism, does this thing better and it makes more sense to put that guy on the left side for what we do as an offense. And he instead, which I thought was going to be kind of a boring answer, but it would explain it. And instead, he said, I mean, it would be like what? It'd be like a four on the one to ten scale of interesting. And instead, he said a thing that, and there was kind of like an audible, like, I, I could hear it behind me in the room, like all the other reporters being like, whoa. When he said, oh, actually, you know, in case we ever have to move him out to left tackle next year, now he's already on the left side. And I, I it was an accidental, I'm not going to take too much credit for it. It was because that wasn't what I was angling for there at all, but it's sort of like accidental potentially huge insight and we had talked about it on this pod before when we were talking projecting ahead to next year and I had said like are we sure like like if he's gonna be the best offensive lineman on that team and they're they've shown a willingness to take a guy who's supposed to be a guard and play him a tackler a guy who's supposed to be a tackle and play him a guard when I say supposed to be in terms of you know his pro potential or whatever like why couldn't he be the guy that that they look at to play tackle on this team next year, especially if they think they're going to be set at the more interior positions, because you're going to have some older guys like potentially Enoch Vamahi or Josh Fryer or some guys who are these tweener guys who would probably more classically fit at guard. If you were looking to like older guys next year and it would give you the, it'd be easier to move Donovan Jackson outside and let those guys play on the interior than the opposite. I think So if those are candidates that you're looking at outside, maybe it makes more sense to look at them inside and put Donovan Jackson out there. This is obviously not the number one plan. We've talked about, you've used that term before, Doug, about like, what's your, what's plan one, what's plan a plan. A was not to be thinking about Donovan Jackson as your starting left tackle in 2023. He's supposed to be like an all American guard in 2023 plan. A was to go recruit the way Ohio state recruits and find good tackles that can start for you in 2023 that didn't happen. So now you got to maybe go with what you're left with. What's the best option that you're left with? And I have always just thought that if he's your best, if he's your best offensive lineman, and it makes sense with the mix, I I, I wouldn't dismiss it. And now I think Kevin Wilson gave us extra reason not to dismiss it. So at this point, I think plan.
2: This is one of those things, like, what are the 10 things that they love to talk about on Buckeye Talk? And the 2023 left tackle is in the top 10. It's like, they like to talk about food. They like to talk about uh, Bill Davis. You know, they like to talk about, and and who the tackle is going to be, because we did the podcast last summer. Is the 2023 team going to be the best team ever? And it was like, yeah, well, who's the tackle? Oh, these recruits. What happened? They didn't get any of them. So that's where we are. I think plan a Steven for left tackle next year plan a is year four of Paris Johnson, but that's yeah. not entirely up to Ohio state. So that's plan a, this is now plan a one. If that guy is too good and if Paris Johnson is too good and he goes to the NFL, I now assume Donovan Jackson is going to be the left tackle next year Because I just don't know who else it's going to be from the candidates of Zen Machowski and George Fitzpatrick and Trey Leroux and Josh Fryer and Grant Tutant and everybody else on this team that we just don't know about yet. Is that how we now should be viewing this?
0: I don't know if I'm that far out on the ledge with you Um, with it being plan one a, I think it might be like plan C um what's your plans ahead of it so if paris keep
2: paris here operation mm-hmm. beg paris johnson to stay guarantee yes. him that he could be the sports editor of the lantern yeah that's that's what you're getting. he would probably probably earn that right anyway. maybe executive editor i'd be interesting it's like oh who's who's the uh who's the managing editor of the lantern uh this guy is gonna be a first round pick that's yeah, cool so that's planning but okay so if it's not donovan jackson what would your next plan as we sit here now be do you think
0: I think if I'm looking at it from their perspective, I think plan B is trusting your evaluation of recruits and their development of those guys. So thinking that Zen Machulski year three or Ben Christian in year three is ready to go. And you can, I'm, everybody's not going to be Dewan Jones. So, like, that's I'm not using him as the baseline of like, oh, one of them is going to be a first rounder, just like Dewan Jones. What I'm saying is trusting that, hey, we've developed guys before. We believe that some of these lower rated guys, because first of all, Ben Christian's like right outside the top 100. It's not like he was a th- guy in the 500s. So, I'm going to, some-
2: you're just, you're doing something here just briefly that I just realized this. I swear to God, I just realized this. They have an offensive lineman who's a redshirt freshman named Ben Chrisman, and the tight end is Bennett Christian. Yeah. You've been saying Ben Christian. Cr- yeah. I think it's possible that Doug Lay Maurice, veteran Ohio State coverer guy, longtime podcast host. I maybe in the last 30 seconds realized that Ben Chrisman and Bennett Christian were, we're two different people.
0: Thing. Yeah. I am talking about Ben Chrisman from Richfield, Ohio, from Revere, Ohio, number 124 player, the number seven in, um, offensive lineman in the 2021 class. I'd like
2: to apologize to both the Chrisman and Christian families. And also, but one goes by Bennett, one goes by Ben, right? Bennett, does Ben, Bennett Christian doesn't ever go by Ben, does he? Does no, he, he always goes go by, by Bennett.
0: Bennett? Yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. Just keep those names in mind, Baird. Keep those names in mind. Just floating around out there.
1: That's um, so. That's that's Bennett is our front runner.
2: Front runner uh, and Barnaby, one uh, A, right behind it. Barnaby Baird. Um, I love the name Barnaby. It just wouldn't go with Lay Maurice. When you have a both, you guys have opportunities here. I have a uh, Lay Maurice. I have a three syllable last name. I just had to count that. You guys have single syllable last names, which opens up first name opportunities. That. I, I can't go with the three or four letter syllable first name with lay Maurice, right? At some point, it's just too much to say, but bear Nathan, you guys can go Barnaby. You can go anywhere. Nothing is off the board because even double B you could lean into the double B, but you could, it's
1: very, it's a very malleable last name. I, I like the alliteration and I like Bennett is like a one and a half syllable word name. It's yeah. like, it's what's like Ben. It's not been it, it's been it. Yeah, no, that's true
0: how many I syllables know. is too long for a name?
2: I mean, like, if, if like I, Nebuchadnezzar if 10 10 total,
0: no, 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 I don't mean like <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, first and last name together. Yeah, how many is too long?
2: I, I think once you get to eight, you're pushing it. So, okay. Nebuchadnezzar, Le Maurice, that's eight, that's probably off the board for me. It's but called. means, means, wide open, whatever I want. completely open. So again, uh, I probably should have a better grasp of the roster than this, but I just realized it. So, but the point is, Steven, you think it's more likely some of these guys who their height, their weight, their college, their high school experiences, profile them more as tackles. One of those dudes would be like the best of those dudes. You don't have to name them, but. The guy who's actually a tackle on the roster that they develop yes, is a better candidate to you than Donovan Jackson
0: long-term. Yes. Not, not even so much a better candidate. It's just like, I think that's their plan. I, they're not planning for Donovan Jackson to move out there. And even the way he talked about uh Kevin Wilson talked about it today, it wasn't like Donovan Jackson's in, this is the plan for him. It's just, just in case we need him in a pinch one game, just like, it's, it's kind of like he's there Munford this year, where it's like if something goes wrong, we'll just kick there Munford back out the left tackle and move Nicholas Petit-Ferrer back to right tackle, and we'll do, and we're fine. It's if Paris Johnson, if aliens come abduct Paris Johnson in the second quarter of the Notre Dame game, and they keep him until Monday, we know we can kick Donovan Jackson out there for the rest of that game because we have enough interior depth for that moment. But I don't know if it would be like a, if you, if they were to, abduct, perish for the rest of the year, I'm not confident saying that Donovan Jackson would be the starting left tackle for the rest of the season.
2: But Donovan Jackson is no older than anybody else that would be in the mix right now for it. Donovan Jackson is not experience it's skill and talent that would, would make him the left tackle now in an alien abduction situation. So I think it feels real. The question is he's six, four, He's listed as 6'4, and they have a bunch of other guys who were listed at 6'6. Six, six. Zen Machalski is 6'7, Trey LaRue six 6'7, Josh Fryer six 6'6. And Josh Fryer's hurt this spring, but it's not like he's not going to be around in, in August. I mean, I think he still uh, would have been a tackle candidate. I, he's, he's significantly smaller, Nathan, than Dewan Jones, because everybody is smaller well, than Dewan Jones, but he's shorter,
1: smaller than DeJuan Jones.
2: Yeah. He's shorter than most of the tackles that Ohio state's run out there the last several years, but even just even the possibility of him being mentioned that way at all just makes sense to me because I will say the one thing, Steven, yes, this was their plan, I guess, except we know they missed on a bunch of guys that they tried to recruit a tackle And the coach who recruited all the tackles that might play ahead of Donovan Jackson next year got fired. So, you know, plans sometimes go up in flames. Now it's up to Justin Fry to develop the guys that are here and they think he's good. And he was brought here to do that. But to me, I'm not so sure, Nathan, if you said, well, what if, if, if it's not Paris Johnson plan A in 2023 at left tackle and Donovan Jackson is plan 1A or A1 or whatever, what would be ahead of Donovan Jackson? I might answer some guy in the portal. And if that's your answer, then I think I'd rather say, well, we think we can do Donovan Jackson. And if the perfect guy presents himself, then okay. I just don't know where they stand with any of these. This it's really like six guys. But it's a, a group of six guys that just we have not seen a lot from at this point.
1: Well, and it's important to remember that, that we're not just talking about who's going to play left tackle. We are still asking who's going to play right tackle. Of all of the other places across this roster where we can say with certainty, Trevion Henderson, uh, one of these two quarterbacks, but it's going to be a good quarterback. Here's the three receivers who will probably be starting. Here's this, this, you know, on defense, you know, the uh, two and Sawyer and Hicks, and we can put – but. At, at both tackle spots, there's uncertainty. So it's not just whether Donovan Jackson solves this one problem. I mean, I agree with Steven that I think they're, they're they want to develop the guys that they have to starting level, but they don't just have to get one of them. They have to get two of them to Big Ten starting level by the start of next year. And it's possible that Donovan Jackson is just such a much better offensive lineman than those guys that he makes the most sense. The other thing I wanted to bring up is in relation to his size. And, yes, he's 6'4", but it's not like he's six foot or 5'11", and it's a massive size difference. And if you go back and look at his, um, his 24-7 sports profile, that listed him as having a wingspan verified at 7 feet with 36-inch arms. And I was looking at some of the numbers out there. This is one that uh, CBS sports had put together an offensive line measurements of the guys in this draft. And they don't have wingspans for a lot of them, but the ones they do, it's like 83, 84, 85. So he would have had an 84 inch wingspan. So right in that, this is guys NFL draft prospects. And then the 36 inch arms is longer than these guys, longer than Nicholas, Petit fair Nicholas pretty fair was only 33 and eighths. So Yes, he doesn't have the maybe foot to top of his head height. But if the wingspan is there and the arm length is there, I don't think it necessarily matters that much.
0: I can't wait till Thursday so I can ask this kid his wingspan. I think I just might walk up to him like, hey, Donovan, can you tell me your wingspan?
1: If that's accurate. That's a fair point. If that's accurate. But if it is accurate, it tells you he's got the the length and the wingspan, which is more important than the top to bottom height
2: it's one of those things wingspan usually is like for like the normal person. I think your wingspan is usually roughly equal to your height. So to have a six, four guy with a seven foot wingspan, there are, I think a lot of athletes who have a longer wingspan than their height, but to have a wingspan, that's eight inches more than your height is a pretty darn big difference. And as they say, you don't block with your head. So I don't, I, I almost wonder because a lot of the times, if it's not basketball, a lot of the times height. Well, maybe it's only offensive line. But against.
0: even in basketball, it's like if you're six eight, but your wingspan is six six, you're kind of irrelevant out there. Yeah, if you're so but if is you're six eight and your
2: wingspan seven two, yeah. So it
0: yeah. is yeah, your length is more important than your height. As much like as much as people want to put the emphasis on 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 height because it's what's listed. Regardless of what sport you're playing, the if it's a contact sport, your length is probably four or five times more important.
2: But height is usually a stand-in for your yeah. length because it usually yeah. correlates. It's a shorthand, when have, yeah. When you have someone who doesn't correlate, then you have a situation like this where mm-hmm. I'm saying, "Oh, I didn't think a six four guy could be a tackle," and it's like it's like he's six eight because his arms are as long as someone who's six eight or six nine, and that's what matters. So Donovan Jackson's gonna be left. I, I it, again, listen, it, whatever it's life goes on. But if I was an Ohio State person listening to this who was up at night being like, I feel great about this program, but who's the left tackle going to be in 2023? I would sleep more soundly tonight. It's like, oh, the five star guy, him will be fine. That's what I would be thinking at this point. Because the other thing is, it's, I, I know what you're saying, Nathan. They need to find two tackles next year. But this answer evolved out of why is Donovan Jackson the left guard? And the answer was because then he can slide to left tackle. So it's even one of those, if if, if they had said, why is it, if he was the right guard, it was like, why is he the right guard? And they said, so he can slide to right tackle. I think we'd still be having a similar conversation like, oh, Donovan Jackson could be a tackle. But the idea that it's left tackle and left tackle is viewed as slightly more important it feels like he's not one of the answers at tackle next year. He's at the front of the line of tackle next year. I think amped it up even a little bit more
1: that the explanation came that way. Do you agree with that? I do, because it, if they're thinking this far ahead, they're setting this team up based on what they might need him to do next year because the need is that urgent. That says something.
2: But then if par- – like because Dewan Jones is definitely going pro. But if Paris stays, then it might be like, oh, Donovan Jackson, you have to go be the right tackle. Sorry, all that left handed stuff last year. You got to do it right handed now.
1: Well, I, yes, but I think if Paris Johnson stays now, you're talking about Paris Johnson and him getting to play together two years in a row. Like that's like a dream that I'm sure that they had. I and mean, then to get Johnson, Jackson, Whipler together for a second full season together would be pretty um. Exciting, but, I think, for Ohio State fans.
2: But then they'd still have to find a tackle from this group of guys. that at the moment, we're saying ah, we don't. Yes, have-
1: but as you say, right have- tackle isn't the same. It isn't the same standard as left tackle. You could take a Brandon Bowen, who was kind of a tweener, and make him a very good starting right tackle for a very good team. But I don't think they were going to probably put him at left tackle.
2: No, that's true. Chase Ferris, Daryl Baldwin, Chase Ferris, Brandon Bowen—all examples of veteran dudes who they turned into a starting right tackle sort of for a one-year situation. And they were good. They're, they won a national championship with a Baldwin. You know, they were fine. But it is a little different. You can sort of do that at right tackle. Like you don't want that to be your plan at left tackle. Left tackle is Taylor Decker. He's a first-round pick. Right tackle, eh, well, figure it out. We've got some dudes who can do it. That, that's worked for them before. So I do think, I do agree with you that that, so that discussion is a little bit different. Okay, we talked about Cade Stover at tight end. We talked about Donovan Jackson as the starting left tackle in 2023. What else came up offensively? We seriously got half an hour, basically, with all three of these coaches, Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, and Kevin Wilson. I think we had a little trivia on Henderson conversation. We already talked about C.J. Stroud. We actually did not talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba almost at all on Tuesday, which is fine. He's really good. We did a whole podcast about him on Friday. We did plant the seed with Jerry Emig, sports information director, 2,060 yards. He could take it to Ryan Day so they can, if he gets to 2,031, let the guy break the record. Um, Nathan, anything else offensively that that we need to cover based off
1: what Kevin Wilson or Ryan Day said on Tuesday? You know, not a lot of receiver talk. The only other thing that they brought up on the offensive line. And I, I think this, the Aiden Hutchinson experience might've played into this was you know, a lot of con- multiple questions about what they want to get this spring out of Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson Jr. What's the next step for those guys? And the answer from Kevin Wilson on both of those guys being they got to be able to beat elite guys one on one. And it, it did the Michigan experience tell them that that was the one deficiency they didn't solve last year? I think it certainly was in the case of DeWan Jones. You would say that. And if you ask Nicholas petit Frere, maybe he would say the same thing. So they've just got to be better prepared for the next time that that comes up.
0: But also, as we've teased on this podcast, the idea of a playoff game against Alabama where you have to go up against Will Anderson. And the last thing you want is yep. we've been talking great about the offensive line all year. And CJ Stroud only been sacked 14 times. And then Will Anderson has a field day on the backfield. And that's where that comes from, because he actually made it a point to, to basically say we're not worried about the interior. At all. It's pretty set. It's Donovan Jackson's left guard. Luke Whippers was the center. Matthew Jones is the right guard. And they have full faith in what that's going to mean for this team next year, especially in the run game. Because I asked Ryan Day about that, like having true guards actually playing in there and what that could mean. Is, and he uh, kind of talked about getting that push, especially when you're dealing with interior guys who like the bull rush. So they, they have full confidence in that. It just boils down to can Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson Jr. be – elite when they're facing guys who are just as elite as they are. And
1: I didn't get the impression that what he was talking about with those tackles was a fear, but I think he's saying, listen, Paris Johnson looked good on in the inside this year. He's going to be out on an Island mm-hmm. and having to go up against those guys one-on-one. It's a different assignment. He's got to prove he can do that. And DeWan Jones coming off of, you know, a, a year where I think in his heart of hearts, maybe he would have felt that he approved himself for the NFL, even just with one year. But I think the Michigan game proved that he was not ready for that level. And that's what he's got to come back and prove this year. So
2: Kevin Wilson does come at things from an offensive line perspective. And he made that very clear today. He was an offensive lineman. He's always talking about how vital they are. You know, basically implies they don't get enough credit. He made a thing about like, ah, kicker makes a 50-yard field goal at the end of the game. Everybody carries him off the field. That's one play. The offensive lineman's out there every play. It's like one of those things, random shot at a kicker which, again, football <laughs> coaches just like to do sometimes. It's just like, well, I'm st- the kicker doesn't – you don't ask the kicker to kick on every play. I don't know what to tell you. Also, if the guy misses the field goal at the end of the game, people in his class the next day are going to give him the side eye. So that's part of well, it too. you
1: know. Also, the reason he had to kick a 50-yard field goal is because your offensive lineman didn't do a good enough job moving the ball. Yeah, I feel like you should have
2: said that to Kevin Wilson right when he said that. Well, hey, Kevin. So, so, But Kevin Wilson did say, as a guy who comes at it from an offensive line perspective, it's like the three most important positions on offense are the quarterback and the two tackles. So that's how he views it. But he said he's talking about because, as you guys said, you're out there one-on-one. You've got to block those edge rushers one-on-one and he was talking about how many guys are going to be in this draft with nason and i talked about the other day but you run through the people that ohio state played last year david Ojabo, and aiden hutchinson and george carl and arnold levicati from penn state and boy Maffe from minnesota he's said five guys that are going to be drafted high i guess it's those five i thought initially he was counting cave thibodeau who they played against this team but thibodeau missed the game but we're throwing mafe that is no one's No one's putting Ebikadi in the first round, I don't think, but I've seen Moffat climb into the back of the first round for some. Mm -hmm. And the Ojabo injury might affect him, but before he was injured, Ojabo, Karloftis, and Hutchinson are surefire first-round guys. So that's all very real. The other thing that Kevin Wilson mentioned, which ties into the thing that I mentioned the other day I want us to track this year, true passing yards, true rushing yards. He said they ran for 110 yards in the Rose Bowl, but when you include their yardage on RPO throws, which they call – they consider called run plays. He said they had 240 rushing yards. So he was talking again, like this again, it's how they think about it and how they believe a defense thinks about it. And when we're talking about run pass balance, when we're talking about a cohesive offense, I thought that was a little window into how they think. But he also said, Stephen, talking about those guys on the on the, the island, knowing he said, like, hey, against our rival, you know, what maybe wasn't so great against what they did against Michigan. The great performance in the Rose Bowl, which he was sort of asked about from Jackson Smith and Jigman, and C.J. Stroud, he said we, our pass protection was really good against Utah and allowed that to happen. So I thought it felt like Kevin Wilson was reinforcing that that's so vital to what they do. They feel good about where they are with this offensive line. But he's reminding everybody that historic passing performance in his mind was started by being able to block guys.
0: Zero sacks. And that's even more of a emphasis when you have to throw 46 passes. Um, they only had two in the Michigan state game when CJ Stroud only had three incompletions, the Purdue game the week before that zero sacks. Yeah. When CJ was, I mean, we've talked, discussed this at length, young quarterback when he's kept clean, he can do whatever he wants back there. When he's not kept clean, the Michigan game happens. Now you've got an experienced quarterback with, A lot of good receivers, and maybe the best one in the country, keep him clean, the Utah game is always on the table. Don't keep him clean, the Michigan game is on the table.
2: Okay. Let's take another break. When we come back, we'll dig into a lot of what Jim Knowles had to say about this new-look Ohio State defense. Next on Buckeye Talk. Doug LaMaurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. Nathan, you want to start with the Jack? Is that where we should begin sure. with the Jim Knowles conversation? Because I felt like we probably asked eight to 10 questions about the Jack. And I feel like we could have asked 50 more, but it's the stand up, move around rush and position that you were starting to wonder, eh, is it like a boogeyman? Is it like, is he really there? And then they were like, Oh no, we started it in practice today on Tuesday, the sixth practice of the spring. They really started implementing the Jack in a practice. Clearly, they had gone over it in film, but they put it to use for the first time on Tuesday. What do we learn about it?
1: We learned why he's calling it the Jack, for first of all, because we've been bouncing around like people have mostly been asking about it and using the term Leo. As, as I hinted early earlier at the top of this podcast, he says that the Leo is the king of the jungle, and right now that's not the term that anybody deserves to have so now right for now it's the jack and he wants people to sort of grow towards the being worthy of the leo status i guess we'll probably revisit that in the fall and see if he's actually calling anybody the leo or if they just stick with the jack one of the candidates the people who's working there if he gets the job it would make sense to just keep calling it the jack i suppose because that's jack sawyer and that was a person who from the first second that we heard that jim knowles was coming here maybe even from the first time that we heard that he was a candidate and they were going to be using this kind of position. If he came here, then he's a player that jumped right to the top of that list. As someone who just from his body type, his background, his skills seemed to fit that defensive end linebacker hybrid concept. Mitchell Melton, who they had moved from linebacker to defensive line for the spring. We, at the time assumed that was because that was the kind of guy that they would want at that position. We were right. That's who was playing it today. Um, Javante Jean-Baptiste, who has been hurt, he said he kind of did walkthroughs at that position, but that was another guy who I know that we had thrown out speculatively as someone who made sense there, just again from body type, from his athleticism, and Caden Curry, who back on uh, signing day. We had asked him about it, and he had said that that was something that had already been talked about was him possibly getting some look at that position. A guy who played all over the place in his high school career in Indiana and who you know is listed as a defensive lineman, but probably has enough other skills and attributes that you would want from that position that it makes sense to give him a try there. So those are the four people he specifically mentioned today.
2: So that group. Javante Jean-Baptiste, 6'5", 255, Jack Sawyer, six four two sixty, Mitchell Melton, 6'3", 245, and then who was the other guy, Caden Curry? Caden Curry. Caden Curry, 6'3", 250. So nobody heavier than 260, according to the roster. JT Tumaloao is listed at 272, and Zach Harrison is listed at 272 also. Nathan, I think you asked specifically, could JT be in the mix there? And Jim Knowles basically said, not right now, but maybe in the future. But I, almost, yeah. I, I felt like
1: he kind of didn't believe it. He said eventually, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you read off those numbers because I think it puts it in perspective. Because the reason I asked him that specifically was because earlier in the conversation, somebody had asked him a question I was going to ask him, which was kind of just basically, hey, what do you think of this Javante or this uh, J.T. Tumalau guy? I just kind of wanted to get his general impressions of how talented Tumalau is sure. now that he's seen him for three months. And somebody else asked it first, and he was talking a lot about his feet, how, how his feet how quick he is on his feet and things that he's able to do just with his quickness. And I wondered, well, is, is that an attribute then that you would want at that that kind of position? But I think when you compare the athletes who are working there right now to the athletes who aren't, it gives you perspective. When you're taking those 15 pounds off of a guy and, and, and maybe I'm wrong because JT Tumalao can, can probably move as well or better than even some of those guys there, but you take those 15 to 20 pounds off of a guy that's going to make a difference when you need them to do more than just play around the line of scrimmage,
0: or oh, you have I can't remember. Or? Yeah, okay. okay. Um, I can't remember which one of the questions came first: Nathan asking about JT or Doug. You asking could like the Nick Bose, the Chase Youngs Bose, like, could the superstar be the Jack, and him just being like, "No, I'm just going to let the superstar be the superstar." What if they well, just yeah. think JT what if they just think JT is going to be the superstar? So yeah, maybe he can do that stuff, but why make him do that stuff when he can just go be JT?
2: It's interesting because what when you when you asked about JT, I was just gonna I was gonna say, could Zach Harrison and JT play? It? Because he had listed so many other guys. It's like, who's not in the group? Because they do have this, they have the Jack, and then they just have a regular defensive end, and they've got to have some guys there. But Steven, I was – I didn't have a handle on – because clearly there's a size and quickness component. Mm-hmm. And it's really more of a feat conversation, as you said, Nathan. It's a quickness component. Can you drop in coverage a little bit? But the more you weigh, the bigger you are. Maybe you don't move around quite as much. You're more of a physical guy who's going to bull rush a tackle and get to the quarterback. But I didn't know, Stephen, if the jack was designed more – to take a great athlete and make him even more dangerous by moving him around, or if it's more designed to make anybody playing that position dangerous. And if you have a guy who's dangerous just because he's Chase Young, maybe you're a little less inclined to do the stand up, move them all over the place kind of thing. And I felt like, Jim Knowles pretty much answered that Tuesday, and I had not known what the answer to that was going in.
0: Yeah, and that's why when he said it, I started, I'm pretty, I can't remember which order, but that's what I was sitting there thinking about with JT because, yeah, he's 277, but that kid's been playing basketball his entire life, so he moved, he can move. And we just saw him in person last week. He wears 277 very well for a kid to be that size. So I'm not necessarily worried about him being too big to play the position. It might just be, as we've been talking about with JT, he the, he was a starter at some point this year, and he showed up a month before the season started. Now he's got a full year with Larry Johnson. He just might be a superstar. So let him go be a superstar. And Jack Sawyer, who's more of the pass rushing connoisseur, let him play that role. Because they're both athletic enough to play either side of it. But if JT is ready to be a superstar right now, why do anything to take away from that when you don't have to?
2: So in the end, Nathan, as we got more information about the Jack today and as they implemented in practice for the first time, I'm not sure we're surprised by any of the ways that Jim Knowles described it, but it's clarifying a little bit. Maybe it reinforces what we think we thought. And I will tell you, Sometimes on this podcast, the best way to get in trouble is with what you think you think. So now we had the coach say it, and I think we have a better grasp.
1: Well, I mean, to the point where you know we were a handful of practices in, and just the way that we all are, I think, and, and I think it extends to the beat at large. Like, you want new information. You knew they were going to start this position. It was going to be one of the, like, big things to follow this spring. And then we're, like, four or five inter- interview sessions in with various groups, including the defensive line. And they're like, well, we haven't really done that yet. I don't know what you guys are talking about, (laughs) which I think they were probably telling the truth, but it was getting kind of annoying to the point where it was like, well, do we need to start rethinking this? Like now maybe, maybe they got here and decided like, Hey, Larry Johnson's Larry Johnson for a reason. Let him keep his four down front and let him just do Larry Johnson things. We don't need the Jack Leo, whatever, but no, it was, it was um, a nice revelation to kind of get some, some information on that one thing. Did you guys get a grasp on who is coaching that position? Because very specifically, he said about Mitchell Melton, uh, who he was kind of very you know praising, said he was really excited by what he did. He said, Mitchell has done a great job for Coach Johnson, and then we put him in this Jack position and he showed up very well. So is Knowles coaching the Jack
0: position Larry. OK, I think it's Larry. And the reason why I think it's Larry is. Um, and it might actually just be one of the GAs who they just let on the list, um, who they just hired, like Cam Spence, who's now here. Um, they might let him just handle that stuff. But I was like paying attention. I think they're in period two when they had the defense. I went down there for like maybe like four or five minutes just to see where everybody was. And when they split up defensive ends and defense in the interior guys, the interior guys were with Cam Spence and Larry had all the ends and Mitchell Melton. So I think like Larry's just, I think right now the Jack in year one is just like a defensive end who can stand up and every so often he's going to go back and pass coverage the way you see sometimes with defensive ends. But I do think as we get to see these more, more of these windows over the next couple of years, and they get more guys who are recruited to play it. Let's see if there's like a coach who's, who's like their job is to coach that position kind of similar to what we saw with uh, Greg Madison, where he was working solely with the Sam linebackers in 2019.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that they would be working with Larry Johnson for pass rush things. I'm just mm-hmm. curious to when you're talking about the, the fundamental things that Jim Knowles needs him to do to strategically be implemented around that front. Because he's talking so much about the how important the football IQ of those guys is. I, I'm just curious like how much time he gets individually or with a group with those guys, or if it is really just, okay, the same way as I need Larry Johnson to coach a defensive end, I also need him to coach the Jack, get them ready. And then I'll do things with them on Saturdays.
2: There does seem to be a fluidity at practice. And I, and and I will say this, there was somebody yelling us on Twitter the other day about how they listen to this podcast. And we don't know anything about football. And I just will say, but aren't we entertaining, right? I mean, we're not working at all here. Read football stats. We're not coaches. Somebody said like, oh, these guys were the coaches of Ohio State. They'd probably lose five games. I said five. We'd lose at least eight. Oh,
0: Hold on. Can, to that person on Twitter, fam, if you were the coach at Ohio State, they'd probably lose five no, plus I games know. as well, which is why we're your none of us are the coaches. Like, So duh. we get
2: it. We get it. We're doing the best we can, man. So I know sometimes probably we get out of our skates with football stuff. High school golf. Any high school golf questions? I broke a hundred, at least half the time. This is that idea, good? Uh, no, it is, it is, it is not good.
1: <laughs> I don't know anything about golf anymore either. This idea, what, what, what'd you shoot when you win eighteen holes?
0: Hey, wait, what was the hundred? I'm gonna uh, stay out of that. Me.
2: Is yeah, it is. So, the idea, I didn't know this either, but this is why I ask questions. And I think it helps the audience that I'm dumber than the audience a lot of the time. I didn't know for sure when you have a position like the Jack and that guy is up and is moving and it's like, okay, sometimes he's on the end. Sometimes he's going to stand up and be, be, between the tackles. Sometimes he's going to do this. Are you giving that player freedom to say, okay, Here's all the things we've taught you how to play the defense. We've taught you your your role in this scheme. Here's what this offense is going to do in this game. You get up there and figure out what you think is happening and go where you need to go on that snap. Is it that, or is it each snap? Jim Knowles is like, okay, this is the defensive call. That means the Jack you're going to line up between the tackles, standing up on this play. I didn't know Nathan. I didn't know what the answer to that question was. Is it so much information and freedom on the player that it's there? They're diagnosing each play or is it Jim Knowles is above like a marionette operating the strings and Jim Knowles is like, oh, no, 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 no. I tell them where to go. So they've got to be able to figure it out and stuff. But also Jim Knowles is going to tell you where to go. But I just I I think like we have a slightly better handle on how it's going to work because I'm super interested in the who's right? And we got four names. I love when we can put names to theory, but I'm still interested in the theory. And I'm still, I at least personally, am still coming around on how does it work? What do you look for it to do? And I thought one of the fascinating things was that Landis asked about, did you create this jack roll to be more against the run or more against the pass? And he's like, it's a run disruptor. Now, the, the nice other advantage is sometimes you can create a matchup and help them get after the passer, but it's a run disruptor first. And it's really smart when you think about it. It's like, Hey, what do you do a lot of times, especially in the zone read, you read the end. Well, what if the end's not there? What if the end's not in that spot because the ends between the tackles and there's a safety or a linebacker or somebody else who's going to come down and fill that hole and help with those responsibilities or whatever you can see Nathan, how it screws up an offense when you take a guy. And and again, what Jim Knowles says is, An offense prepares for a 3-4 or a 4-3 and how your defense works that the offense then prepares for that. Well, the Jack allows you to be both a 3-4 and a 4-3, right? You can be either of those. You're both of those with the same personnel snap to snap. You don't know what you are. And so if there are principles offensively that you're trying to apply based on the front of the defense, you don't know what the front's going to be. And when Jim Dole starts talking like that, I just that's when I kick up my feet, ask him for a cigar and say, put on the film, my man, let's do this. And we got a little bit of that today. And I hope we get 100 times more of it over the next six months.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the things that's been missing from our interactions with the coaching staff the last couple of years, because so much of our defensive discussions have been about what's not going right. On defense and now and we'll maybe we'll have to have those discussions with Jim Knowles, too. But they are a few months off and now we get these more explanatory things. You know, he came in and renamed one of his safety positions the adjuster because they're the guy that like, you know, sets everything up in front of him. And I he could probably have come up with a similar name based on what he is calling the jack. You could call it like the agitator or the Ooh. perplexer or the perplexer Ow. or something like that. Because that's what it seems to be about. Like he wants to be. Do you remember? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna mention another old movie. It's like a forty year old movie, but the the second Star Trek movie, the old Star Trek back. movie. When I was a little kid, I remember <laughs> being freaked out by this scene where they like put this. They put this Middle little like, white
2: guy buzzer. Middle aged white guy buzzer. They
1: right. put this little like worm or something in these guys' helmets and then put it on their heads and it like burrowed into their ears and like made them tell the truth or something. I can't remember. Like ate their brains. I, that's kind of what I think he wants the Jack to be to go be this little gremlin that lives in the mind of the other offensive coordinator and just like drives him crazy. I think that's what he wants that to be. It's like an extension of the more devious part of his defensive coordinator brain on the field.
0: So for the audience, that was all born after 1990. Here's a better 1990.
1: That movie Here's came out.
0: I don't know if I was born when that movie came out. So as I would say, all of us who were born after the internet was invented. Here is another example for you. It's like playing a video game and you're only controlling one player. It's like you just pick a defensive lineman and then you just run or you do whatever with him. Your gym knows and you're controlling that defensive end. Who's a Jack while everybody else has a specific assignment. And you just tell that defensive end to do this, that, and a third.
2: I can remember going to the grocery store when I was like five and they had a space invaders machine and I could stand on a milk crate to be a able to milk get,
0: crates. <laughs>
2: to be able to get to see the screen and reach the joystick and put in a quarter and play Space Invaders. And it was like the highlight of, of Little Dougie's week. Um, I think, Nathan, I also think the perplexer would be like a great name for the villain in one of the C.J. Straub Captain America movies. The perplexer, the agitator, all this stuff. Also, I think. If you told, if you suggested in a news conference to Jim Knowles would that it. they renamed the Leo slash Jack the perplexer, I think it would happen. Maybe. Don't you, don't you think you'd be in for that? I thought I was going to say the reactor because you're kind of like making the offense react to you. But then you said you're reacting. I know. And then you said agitator. And I was like, oh, agitator is so much better. And then you said perplexer right on top of agitator. And I was like, (laughs) are you a professional position namer? (laughs) This is unbelievable.
0: I'm I'm
1: going to be a I'm going to go into I'm going to start a consulting firm for defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators to just rename positions.
0: I just like imagine a quarterback going to sit out on the bench after throwing a pick and he gets on the microphone with his uh, offensive coordinator upstairs. And the OC is like, dude, what's wrong? He's like, I'm just so com- perplexed. And then you go over to Ohio state sideline and just like, <laughs>
2: yeah, the guy, the guy's wearing like the big perplexer chain.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, did, I perplexed the offense. Well, we were joking. Cause they sort of, they had broken up um, the linebackers into two groups during practice. And it sort of seemed like there was maybe one group that was faster than the others. And we were like, oh, they should rename these. We They could rename one group the Borlands and the other group the Shaziers. But this now makes me think with the perplexer and the adjuster and the agitator and the reactor and the refractor and everybody else we should do, this would be a good off-season podcast. Rename all 22 positions on the field for Ohio State. That's like, oh, the slot receiver. What? The slot receiver? If we're going to do adjuster and we've lived through the bullet and we're now going to have the perplexer that's that's rename them all we can do that'll be a fun offseason thing we'll get the textures involved i was so far this is what i was like i was like this first 90 minutes it was like a movie i would rather watch that than a movie 90 minutes of actual football talk no covid talk that was nothing it's like oh the past couple of years we, we had to talk about every defensive question was what's wrong but then all the other questions were who has covid and it's like thank hey, God, oh, I just want to talk about football.
0: We did get one helmet question, though. I said, I, I said that at one point. I was like, I can't wait till we get CJ Stroud, and instead of asking him all these football questions, we're going to ask him forty-five million questions about his helmet. And then we got one helmet question today. And Ryan Day was like, Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's, it's, He put it on his head, and yeah, he wore
2: uh, it. <laughs> I'm the football coach. Yeah. I'm here to talk about football. Why don't you go talk to the helmet coach?
0: Those are my favorite questions with, that coaches get. And it's usually from the TV guys where the coach is like, I don't know, man. Like-
2: and then I always <laughs> imagine it's like, and now in sports, and like here's the 45-second segment on Ohio State football. C.J. Stroud wearing a new helmet this week. We asked Ryan Day about it. Uh, I don't really know. Back to you, Joe. <laughs> like great. <laughs> awesome four-second cut on that. Um, log jam. Log jam, log jam, log jam, Nathan. At linebacker, it's the word that Ryan Day used and then Jim Knowles was asked about. At one point, when we thought Court Williams might be a linebacker, especially I thought that, I thought that made Court Williams I think the 13th guy in that room, but Court Williams is not in that room right now. He's playing safety. Cade Stover, you take him out. Mitchell Melton now is more defensive end slash Jack. They're thinning it a little bit. You're still at 9 or 10. Scholarship linebackers though, Nathan. And Ryan Day and Jim Knowles are both like, yeah, it's a lot. Like, where are where are we? And actually, uh, Steven, I Stephen, I want to I want to get to you because you sort of texted to the people mm-hmm. uh, on on Tuesday morning who sort of looked like they were lined up where. But we had a CJ Hicks question today. We had questions about Chip Trainum and Steele Chambers as former running backs now playing linebacker. Jim Knowles talked a lot, pretty effusively, off the top. When he was asked about linebacker, the first person he talked about, who he talked about in detail, was Tommy Eichenberg. And that reminded, I think last spring, Tommy Eichenberg was getting talked about a lot. And it was like, man, they sure talk about Tommy Eichenberg a lot. And then it was like Tommy Eichenberg started, mm-hmm. I think, against Minnesota. And we were like, What? And it was like, Oh, yeah, I guess we should have noted that when they were constantly talking about him. So when Tommy Eichenberg's name is the first linebacker out of Jim Knowles's mouth. I don't ignore that. Did we feel like we learned anything about the log jam itself, Nathan, or where anybody fits in the log jam at linebacker?
1: I don't know if I I I, I picked up on what you said too, obviously, that that, that he said Eichenberg early. Um, there was some Reed Carico talk. You guys said you saw Reed Carico and Steel Chambers lined up as the two. I was not practice Tuesday morning, but you guys saw him out there repping um, when they were doing eleven man defense stuff. But I also thought it was interesting the way Jim Knowles sort kind of talks about linebacker because it was a you that asked him about rotating guys through there. Somebody had asked him about like, yeah. are you I trying about, to focus down? Yeah, would you, you rather have to two narrow guys the focus to win it, or would you rather have a bunch of guys that you rotate? Right. And his answer was that he sees linebacker. He calls it a field position, kind of the way running back is. Where running backs talk about you kind of got to get into a rhythm. And, and you can get better as the game goes along. And he sees linebacker generally as sort of the same thing. And he expects the very best guys to play the most, that it wouldn't be a big platoon there potentially. So that I thought was an interesting kind of way to frame what comes next. I'm not jumping too far ahead because they just have so many guys in there. And it's like, how many guys do they have that don't seem that distinct? Like, what is the huge difference between – Tommy Eichenberg and Reed Carrico and maybe even like Cody Simon. Like, is there a giant disparity in skill and athleticism and a lot of other whatever other words you want to throw out there? So I don't know what separates that right now. I think we're in the early stages of, of figuring that out. he had good things to say two about guys like chip train and steel chambers as extension, but he was getting asked specifically about chip train Cause he's more of the newer guy and how he likes when running backs have converted to linebacker because of the way that they read the field. He was talking about Wayne Gretzky talking about how he used to, how did, you know, he doesn't go to where the puck is. He goes to where the puck is going to be. And that's how you become the greatest hockey player of all time, goal scorer of all time. And he sees that he thinks that, Guys with that running back um, foundation that play linebacker can sometimes do that. They know where the play is going and they can better get get in the position that they need to be in to make the play. So I still see linebacker is pretty fluid. I don't know if you guys are extrapolating more at this point. I know that it's, it means something when we see guys out there, I'm not saying it doesn't, but it just feels like, because even your, your, um, even your point, Doug, yes, Tommy Eichenberg started there to start the year but there was a point in the season where Tommy Eichenberg wasn't really in the mix or at least prominent anymore. He'd become a secondary player in the defense and now you've got steel chambers and there just is so much time left for, for instance, CJ Hicks to know what the heck he's doing or some of these other younger guys to figure some other things out.
0: We used this concept last year with the Eichenberg Simon relationship of tough Borland Baron Browning 2019. I think that's still a thing. Um, I don't think it's a logjam. I think guys have positions and it's nine guys playing three positions, three of which are just in a position that because it's the Big Ten, you have to have some four or three sets. I think Reed Carrico, Polier and Gay Powers are probably the same linebackers. So when you do play those run heavy teams and you have to have three linebackers out there in whatever order you want to put them in. And then the Mike linebackers are Eichenberg, Simon, and Mitchell. And then the Wills are Chambers, Trainum, and Hicks. So it it seems like a long jam until you place three guys at each spot. But like, because they only play the interior and inside linebackers the most, those are the six guys who are going to have real opportunities to play. And then when you need to use a Sam linebacker, it's from what I saw today, if they need to go to a Sam linebacker, Rick is going on the field as a second year top 100 recruit.
2: That sounds right. Okay, not as complicated. Let's move on. I'm kidding. I still have (laughs) 4,000 questions about linebacker, but actually that was very clarifying for me because as we were walking off and just to take people inside, we go in, they let us in a little before eight 30, like eight, 18. And it's stretching, stretch, stretch, bend. Hey, whistle tweet. Then they all gather around and Ryan Day says, (laughs) and it was, and then they go to their thing. And they start and then we get to watch this like five minute punt period punt period punt period punt period
0: punt <laughs> period one punt period two. I can't I see like, you, Jackson Smith Nick Jigba. <laughs> I see you, Cameron Martinez. That is, that is a good really Quint
2: Temple. That's a good Quintemple. <laughs>
1: that's, that's I can't
2: believe anybody on. I can't believe anybody ever says that. We don't know anything about football. That was just very very descriptive there. Uh So they go. So we watch three periods. We watch three, excuse me, five minute periods, 15 minutes. And then it's like, get out. Then we have to leave. But you walk slow and you walk backwards Mm -hmm. because they don't they don't make you close your eyes and they don't come around with like a big hook at the Apollo and yank you off the field, you as a human are allowed to make your way off the field. So they start to go 11 on 11 or some version, maybe it was seven on seven, but we got some look at ones versus ones. And that's where we saw a flash of Reed Carico. And then we go out and we start doing our stuff. And Steven, as we're sitting there, it's like, Ooh, like that, like we saw Reed Carico seemingly come out for ones versus ones for 12 seconds. Yeah. And it was like, well, we're all going to write 900 words about this right now, because that's a little morsel of information. What you thought you saw steal and read and someone else out there, or did you, yeah, see uh,
0: linebackers? I, I only saw the, the two for that portion, but it looked like it was a four, three you know, package that they were getting ready to go into just based off of who the offense had on the field. They had okay. two tight ends on the field. They had Joe Royer and and Cade Stover. So at first when I saw it, it's like, Rick Harco is going to go from not playing at all to being a starter? Well, that's ridiculous. But then as I started to think about it, it's like, okay, he's probably the Sam and Tommy. And then like the, the fact that he talked about Tommy Eichenberg at such a big length today, it made sense that maybe Tommy Eichenberg the starting Mike linebacker, Steel Chambers is the will. And that was just like a Sam linebacker look package because they were going up against a two tight end set.
2: So I think a lot of that makes sense. So I asked Jim Knowles about that need for the Sam Liker linebacker. Cause as you guys know, that's the strong side linebacker. That's sort of the third linebacker who lines up over the tight end when you have three linebackers on the field, but a lot of teams, either if that tight end is um, going to be more involved with the passing game, then that's where you put a nickel over him. And that fifth defensive back comes on the field Instead of a third linebacker and Ohio state's base defense is going to be a four 2 five this season. They're going to play three safeties. They're going to call that nickel corner, a safety spot. They're going to play two deep safeties, two corners, two true linebackers and four defensive linemen most of the time. But he said, we have to have that Sam linebacker for when we play teams that run 12 personnel. So I said, how often did that happen at Oklahoma state? And he said, not that much. And actually when teams in the big 12 ran two tight ends, he said it was like a, almost like fake 12 personnel because it was more about having one of those tight ends split out like a slot receiver. So he said, we stayed in our base four two five almost all the time. But he acknowledges in the Big Ten, and specifically you're talking about teams like Wisconsin and Iowa, when you play teams like that, that's not goofing around 12 personnel. That's real 12 personnel. That's two tight ends on the field who will block you into the stands if you're not ready. And are also usually threats to catch the ball. You've got to. We've seen Ohio State play four linebackers against teams like that. Sometimes you've got to be ready to play three. So they are going to come out of this base four two five more than Jim Knowles has done in the past because of the realities of the Big Ten. So that's a situation where Stephen, what you're talking about with Reed Carrico, Polier, they'd also talked about him in the mix as maybe in the mix at Jack, mm-hmm. because frankly, there's probably not enough snaps over the course of a season as you're rotating linebackers and the Sam's not going to play that much. If he's in the mix at Sam, but you also get him some snaps at Jack, now this is a guy who was a big-time player at USC, had kind of a goofy year at Ohio State last year, but maybe has some more snaps in him. And then if Gabe Powers is a third guy, Gabe Powers is a young guy who's coming along. So that depth chart, Carrico, Polier, and Powers at Sam makes sense to me. I think the way you explained it, Stephen, makes a lot of sense. In the middle, Tommy Eichenberg, first up at Mike, he said Tommy Eichenberg, Nathan, is showing a mastery of the defense, and he's making plays. So mastery of the defense could be like, oh, great, here we go again. Like he knows what to do. But then he also said making plays. So you can't just know what to do. You also have to be able to do it. That does sound like to me, for now, like a starting Mike linebacker. And then the guy he mentioned right after Eichenberg was Taraja Mitchell, who just lost his job last year, but is a great leader, is a great veteran, was a captain last year. If he's also in the mix at Mike, he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but that makes sense to me. And then who's the other guy you had at Mike, Stephen?
0: Uh, Cody Mike Simon.
2: Is, and Cody Simon. Cody Simon. Is Cody Simon limited still right now? Or is he all, is he
1: full uh, He's been, he's, Pretty much, but I mean, we haven't seen all of practices. Yeah. But it, yeah. well, he, he has been involved in drills every time we've yeah. seen drills.
0: Okay. He did individual deal, drills today.
2: So yeah. does that make sense to you, Nathan, if those are the guys in the mix at Mike with maybe Eichenberg up first there, and it's practice six, and we're just trying to sort of extrapolate what we're seeing and hearing, does it make sense to you?
1: It does. I, I, I don't want to be a complete turd in the punch bowl, but I will say Remember, this is a new defense that's being installed right now. So whoever can pick up on the studious side of it faster is probably jumping to the front of the line, I would guess. That doesn't necessarily mean they'll be the guy that is in the best position to start in the fall. I'm not trying to – I'm not saying that really because maybe maybe it turns out because Tommy Eigenberg had like what – 65 tackles in the Rose Bowl or whatever it was. Defensive like,
2: player of the yeah.
1: Rose Bowl, yeah. <laughs> so oh, I'm not – this isn't a criticism of Tommy Eikenberg. It's more just like a devil's advocate, like, hey, let's f- remember that because there are guys who whose brain and ability to just process things is way ahead of other guys – and sometimes those other guys are way ahead in other areas. And if they can catch up on the studious side, then there are other things will allow them to push ahead. Just one thing that when I hear this conversation that comes to mind, that it's a new defense being installed. So the guys who are the most inclined to like absorb that information and it just clicks with them faster, like any other classroom environment, people learn things faster than others. The guys who can learn this the fastest are, are probably, it, it probably is showing up in practice. Let's see what it is at the end of the spring. Let's see what it is in August.
0: Yeah, that's why I I pay attention more to the and making plays part than the he's picking up, because even the way uh, Noel's explained the way he's teaching, it's like I'm downloading all this information and then I'm like backing off and letting them absorb all of that. And then I'll throw a lot more back at him and then I'll back off some more. And so. Yeah, the veteran people, I mean, Eichenberg's what, a senior now, it's his fourth year in the program. Taraja Mitchell's a fifth year senior at this point. I mean, the, obviously the older guys are going to pick up on this faster than maybe a C.J. Hicks is, who's been here for three months and still probably trying to figure out where his locker is every day. Jim Knowles,
2: by the way, said they should have about two thirds of the defense installed by the end of spring. They're not going to get it to everything right now. But I thought that was another interesting little morsel. And then if you think about Will Linebacker, Will Linebacker is the run and chase, go make plays linebacker, that Steel Chambers, who was their best guy at that a year ago, would be first up there. And then you have Chip Traynham, who is like Steel Chambers. Who, I, I mean, that's like the same deal. And as Jim, as Ryan Day pointed out, both of them recruited by Ohio State as linebackers. And now they're both finally playing linebacker at Ohio State to train master, transferring from Arizona State where he was a running back. And all the stuff you said, Nathan, what Jim Knowles said about kind of liking that feel that sometimes he thinks there's some advantage. Now listen, it's one of those things like, hey, isn't it great that one of your starting linebackers played a completely different position for two and a half years? Isn't that awesome? And actually the answer is no, it's not awesome we would be much better off having guys come and play the position they're going to play from the minute they get here. But since that didn't happen, let's find something good to say. So it's one of those things. They see the field like a running back. I get it. But if those are the three guys, Steele Chambers and Chip Tratum who were athletic enough to be running backs. And then CJ Hicks, who is probably the most athletic guy in the room. They're your wills and let them fight it out. That also makes sense to me. And I do think there's some room in here. I think Nathan or Stephen, what you're saying about maybe you wind up in some kind of Eichenberg-Simon split at middle linebacker. I think that makes a lot of sense. And also, when they go to get to third down on passing downs, you pull that mic off the field a lot. So now it's like, well, who's on the field on third down? Actually, it's Steel Chambers and C.J. Hicks, right? Or it's Steel Chambers and Chip. You can find roles for some of these guys. And even in the course of this conversation, Nathan – I'm, I'm starting to get clarified a little bit. They're not going to play nine. And like he said, he admitted most of the time, linebacker, You, it's not usually a position where you rotate a ton. And as you said, Nathan, it's like you get, you get rolling in a game. So they're not going to rotate. What that signaled to me is what we always talk about here. Don't rotate from weakness, rotate from strength. It feels like they're not going to rotate from weakness. But if they have good players with given different skill sets that fit different situations and they want to keep guys fresh. I can see that, but I also can see a world where if it's like, whatever, hey, Tommy Eichenberg and CJ Hicks basically showed we can't take them off the field. Then I can see that where, you know what, those guys are going to play 60 snaps each and the other guys are going to have to fight
1: for stuff. But I think we can see how maybe they have a chance to piece it together. And I also think as far as like, you know, keeping people engaged, keeping people happy, whatever, if you tell a guy like, "Okay, you're not one of our two starting linebackers, but you are our nickel linebacker. You're one of our two nickel linebackers. You're giving them a fairly significant role. Like you can you can sell that, I think, within your team, within your roster as like you're in a huge contributor to helping us win this game because you are better than the in that position. You're better than the guy that we're starting in front of you on first down. Like, I think those things can be plausibly explained to players and help with the harmony or whatever you're looking for a little bit. Not that that's the first. And that was another thing that was said today. I think it was actually said by Kevin Wilson, right? When he was asked about a different position, but it, he's like, you know, we're not here to keep everybody happy. We're here to win football games. So that's still the first priority. But this is a way I think sort of a bridge to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely great to make sure people are clarified that they're the nickel linebacker in passing situations until you get to an Akron game and he goes on the field in that passing situation and you try to pull him off the field and he's throwing his gloves and his cleats into the stands and then, you know, tweeting in the locker room. So you got to make sure that part doesn't happen, but yeah, to the point, yes, it's, it's always great to have clarification as long as everybody's okay with the clarification. But I do think, but
1: there was a football reason he was being pulled off the field there. His his irrational yeah. reaction to that doesn't dispute my point that I was making.
0: I was just throwing out a hypothetical out there. I don't even know who the he is I was thinking about about it is. while I said, it. yeah, I get it. Um, I, but also like CJ Hicks is a true freshman. So like if he just like doesn't break through this year and he just has a role on special teams. OK, he'll be oh, he'll be all right. But I just I, I don't know how I still feel yet about the playmaking linebacker position. For Ohio State right now is two former running backs who are trying to play linebacker and a true freshman who might be a dude in two years.
2: Interesting. I mean, Steel like. Chambers showed that Steel again. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm, should Steel <laughs> Chambers be Ohio State's best linebacker? Probably not, but he played pretty well at times last year. And I don't know if Chip Trainum has a chance to be supercharged Steel Chambers. I don't know, but I think Chip Trainum is a pretty darn good football dude. Yeah. So I remain intrigued by that. Again, with a lot of feet talk. When he was specifically asked about CJ Hicks, Jim Newell said CJ showed a lot of short area quickness, which is the thing we talked about, right? And I think he said an outstanding ability to, to uh, outstanding ability to break on the ball. I think that's right, which that's the kind of thing. I know he's young, but I sure like the sound of that. Yeah. Because that's like you so... Go put on the Georgia linebackers and watch guys break on the ball. Go watch Ryan Shazier as a young player and watch him break on the ball. The best things that when it felt like steel chambers was doing things last year, that was like, man, we haven't seen an Ohio state linebacker do that very much lately. It's doing that kind of thing when that's part of the praise for CJ Hicks. I agree, Steven, he's young, but that's my ears perk up at stuff like that.
0: Yeah. um, I'm going to throw a little bit more. You know, Cole on the hype train for the CJ Hicks might have a role this year, just because it's always interesting when you ask assistant coaches at this part of spring football about true freshmen who might have a role because they're top 100 recruits. And they kind of tell you this guy has a chance of playing while this guy doesn't by how they describe him. He gave specifics about CJ Hicks with the short area quickness and how he attacks the ball. Yo, know, he got into it a little bit while with. Gay Powers, it was more of the he's getting better every single day. Mm -hmm. And that just means ask me about him again next spring, which is fine.
2: Normal. That's not a shot. That just means that's regular.
0: Yes. The five. It's not a crazy concept that the five star top linebacker in the country might be able to play for you while another guy who was a top 100 recruit. But like he's the number like six linebacker in the country might need a year. That's how this goes.
2: You know who they talked a lot about last spring? Again, in the name of listen when they're talking, they talked a lot about Denzel Burke last spring. And then it was like, oh, is uh, Denzel Burke starting as Minnesota? It's like, yes, he's not coming off the field all year. And it's like, oh, I guess they told us that in the spring. So it is, Nathan. It's like sometimes we don't want to get too far in front of ourselves, but we also don't want to ignore some of the hints that they're dropping. And he got asked about C.J. Hicks. He didn't bring up C.J. Hicks. But as Steven said, he didn't deal in generalities. He talked about why this guy is looking pretty good.
1: Right. I think that's, it's, it it is a huge difference too, when they bring it up, if they're the one who volunteers it. And then we, I guess we have to parse that a little bit too. Why are they bringing it up? Is it a guy that needs a boost? Is it a guy that whatever, but like, uh, it it says something to me if if, if completely on his own, Tommy Eichenberg first name out of his mouth, that means something. All
2: right. We'll make note that he said he likes what he's seen from Tyleek Williams. Tyleek Williams is going to be good. We don't have time to go into him like crazy right now. I do want to wind up. We didn't talk about the corners a ton. We did talk about the safeties and the looming aura of Josh Proctor, who is doing some individual drills, is not really expected to get into any team stuff, any contact team stuff at all this spring as he comes back from his broken leg. But Jim Knowles talked about him in a positive way. Nathan and talked about him in a way that he feels like he can be a playmaker. And Ryan Day talked about him that way. Actually, it was Ryan Day who talked about him because Jim Knowles basically said, ah, I don't know. I've seen him on film a little bit, right? I think that's right. Ryan Day was talking about what an impact Josh Proctor makes on Ohio State and how eager they are to get him back and that he's rangy and that he's also physical. And boy, if you want to have two words combined for a safety, like Rangy's good on its own, physical's good on its own, but when you swoosh them together, and it's like, oh, it's the thing where he can cover the whole field, and it's also the thing where he can come down and deliver a hit and make a tackle. Those sure go well together. We're playing this game a little bit. You guys ever play the game? You guys have Netflix, right? Streaming service. They put movies on your TV. You guys familiar yes. with Netflix? We're aware. Yes. And you ever run the Netflix thing where they just run? You just let it run, and it's they just show a screenshot for a show and then 30 seconds later it slides to the next show and a they have saver? well it's like a screensaver it's like if you don't have mm-hmm. a if you don't pick a show to run it just runs through a bunch of shows and then oh, it has yeah. three words down in the bottom to describe oh, the rip. show and it's like you know star trek old alien thought provoking right that's what it would be right So, like, if you had a picture of Josh Proctor on the screen and it said "rangy," physical, you'd be like, "Oh, I like this show." Injured, be like, "Oh, (laughs) shoot, I don't know." But like, oh, if that when that injured turns to versatile, oh, I want to watch that show. It's hard, Nathan, because I've already written about, we've written about, we've talked about Jim Knowles. Like right away when all this started, the first time we talked to him was like. I want Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams on the field together. It was like, here we go. Safety time. It's a safety-driven defense. He said it. And then today it was like, also, Josh Proctor, he's awesome. He's as good as it gets. We don't know. We're not going to know, Nathan, until we know. But they want Josh Proctor involved.
1: No, I think he literally said today, we want him and we need him or something like that. Like they, but, but, but the first thing is it, it was Jim Knowles saying like, well, I really haven't seen him. I've seen him on film. I haven't got to see what he could really do. He was working with the fourth group or whatever today. I think you guys said yes. so, but so the first priority is Josh Proctor needs to get healthy. Josh Proctor needs to return from the surgery and be ready to actually play real big 10 football again. But everything that Ryan day was saying today, I thought they started to see it. We all started to see it a little bit last year. There were elements of the physical part that were there before, because we always thought he was maybe more of the traditional second high strong safety. That was what he was recruited to be. That would always seem like it was going to be his fit. And he was a poor fit at the free, the single high free safety, even though he had the ball skills, we saw that too. We've seen the interceptions that he's made a couple times in his career. So, that wasn't necessarily being rangy, but it was like being able to make plays on the ball. And then last year, those first game and a half was where you finally started to see the rangy kind of come in. They had finally seen everything sort of sync up together, and then it got interrupted. It, you know, violently, he breaks his leg, and he's not back for the rest of the year, and they don't get to see it again. So Ohio State still really hasn't seen everything Josh Parker can be for an extended period of time. And I think they're eager to see it again this year. I would, if I had to guess right now, as long as he's healthy, I think he starts on opening day. I think it's him and
0: Hickman and McAllister. Um, I agree, but I'm leaning off of it. So, you know, like when you hire new assistant coaches, you get new coordinators. There comes a time where like you sit down and the coordinator is going to go. So tell me about this guy. So tell me about this guy. So tell me about that guy. I'm playing out how that conversation went with the safeties when he and Ryan day had the conversation. And I think we got the media version of it today. I think Ryan day told him the three best safeties are court Williams, Josh Proctor and Ronnie Hickman, in whatever order you want to put them in. And because Josh Proctor was injured, Jim Knowles went, yeah, I got to see it first with my own eyes. I'm not going to jump out the window based off of, you know, half a Minnesota game where you also got knocked out of that game with an injury. But I think, I think Brian day truly believes that those are his best three safeties. And that as soon as Proctor gets healthy, that's going to get proven. And then it becomes like, how do we get all three of these guys on the field at the same time?
1: I want to believe that I suppose, but we're not that far removed from last year. And when Josh Proctor was hurt, court Williams didn't play a whole lot more until the very, very end of the season. And he he was was coming coming off the ACL. So yeah. Yes. But, but I'm talking about the second half of the year. Not a huge role. And today when Jim Knowles talked about Court Williams, it wasn't, man, he's really lighting it up out there and making a bunch of plays in practice. It was a lot of, boy, he really works hard and he's a great leader and we like him. I I just, that transition isn't happening yet. We are we just had this conversation about coaches talking about the way they talk about players. They don't talk about Court Williams like they're excited about things he does on the football field yet. And they did, he
2: did say, I've got to see him covering receivers for Court Williams,
1: which Mm -hmm. is like, which is like, Yeah, I know, which is why we thought thought he might be
2: a linebacker.
1: And he said the exact way he said it was, um, I trust him. I know he'll go out there and do what he's supposed to do. I, I know I can count on him. He was saying things like that. So that, that maybe I should back off what I was saying before, because he is saying he trusts him on the field to make plays. But he, he specifically was saying that, like, I have to make sure I'm not overextending him, basically. I have to make sure I'm putting him in the right position, because there are things that you would ask some safeties to do on a football field as far as covering receivers that you wouldn't ask Corey Williams to do right now. That was the conclusion I came to from his answer.
2: Ronnie Hickman, he said, I love Ronnie Hickman. And then the words I listed that Jim Knowles said were skill, Savvy, good piece, run the show. He really does love Ronnie Hickman. And so we can
0: he's the one in pen, and the other two. It's kind of I, I, like a yeah. TBD.
2: And then, as you said, Nathan, Josh Proctor, we need him. We want him. He can change the game. We want him to get healthy, was Jim Knowles on Josh Proctor. So, and it is one of those things. This time we do it. I mean, it's it's part of what we do. It's just, but it's like, basically it's, What are they going to do with all these good players? There's not enough snaps for all these guys. And a couple of the guys that we're talking about are a guy who broke his leg in week two and missed basically the whole season. And a guy who tore his ACL as soon as he got here and missed his whole first season. So guess what? Guys get abducted by aliens. Somebody's going to get abducted by a couple guys are going to get abducted by aliens between now and the Notre Dame game. So it's good to have more than like, Oh, we have exactly 22 good players and they fit perfectly into the 11 starting spots on each side of the ball, but we have no more players that we trust. And if any of them to get hurt, we are absolutely screwed. That's not what they that's not where they are. So stuff's going to happen. Stuff will work itself out, but I remain intrigued by how it all fits together because would you agree with this, Nathan? I'm intrigued by Hickman, Proctor, Williams, Tanner McAllister in a safety-driven defense. I am super intrigued by that idea. I still do not exactly know how it's going to look and how exactly the existing skill sets of all those good football players fit into seemingly the positions that Jim Knowles wants to deploy in this safety-driven defense.
1: Yes, I think that's the best way to say it that there, I think it's probably what he's dealing with right now, that there's just, you can look at it and see all the shapes are sharp and they're, you know, solid pieces or whatever, but how do they fit in the spaces you have? How do they fit together? I don't know that yet, but I would, I would, I strongly suspect McAllister is a starter in this defense. I don't think they take one of those three guys and make them a, a nickel.
0: Uh, We shall see. Maybe Josh. No, he, they, they, they listed Nichols though. Um, Cam Martinez, they said, Legend Cavazos is moving in there. So it's right. Yeah. It's it's. Yeah. Proctor's not doing anything.
1: Proctor. This is
0: that conversation is almost, we almost have to put a pin in this safety conversation until Josh Proctor's clear. Full go. Yeah. It'll be interesting in
2: August, but that was one of the positions where Jim Knowles ran through names. And again, we love when guys run through names. But nickel was Tanner McAllister, Cam Martinez, Legend Cabazos. Legend Cabazos is with the corners in practice. So that was a little bit of a, ooh, interesting. You know, not that we, we know that the corners can work in there because they've said that, but now we have a name to it. So Cam Martinez is going is to definitely have a role there too. We did it. I think we went two hours. We're so excited to talk about football. We basically went two hours. This is old school. No robots, no pizza, no brackets, no COVID, no name, image, and likeness. No playoff committee. Pure, unadulterated football. We talked more than the coaches did. We were excited to get 90 minutes of coach talk, and we turned it into a two-hour podcast. Wednesday, rapid fire. Wednesday, rapid fire. Thursday, a treat. If you guys want to watch ahead, we are going to do our first Buckeye Retalkable about Basketball. The final four is in New Orleans again this year. It is the 10-year anniversary of Ohio State's last trip to the final four, which was in New Orleans. So we are going to watch Ohio State versus Kansas in a national semifinal from 2012. Jared Sullinger, Aaron Kraft, and the guys, I covered that final four uh, in New Orleans. I made me realize how many bridges there are and how much water there is because I was like 11 bridges away from the arena, trying to stay in a Fairfield Inn. Um, but if you don't remember, they almost won. And they maybe should have won that game. And the prize that year was to face Anthony Davis in Kentucky in the national title game. And I don't think anybody was going to beat Anthony Davis in Kentucky, but I would have liked to see that Ohio State team take a shot at it. I would have liked to see Jared Selinger, that team, take a shot at it. So we're going to rewatch that semifinal. Just put it in YouTube. It's on there. And if you want to watch it, we're going to rewatch it and we're going to talk about it on our Thursday pod. Wednesday, rapid fire first. We appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of it. Man, it's a good time to be a texter. 614 350 3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. And if you have extra time, if you get through this whole podcast and you think, man, I could just use more football talking, top 10 combo programs in the country men's basketball and football we did it big 10 here shahan j Haraja and i are going to do it on the wednesday college football survivor show nationally where will will ohio state make our top 10 we're going to have a draft and do it nationally on that you can find the college football survivor show wherever you find buckeye talk for stephen means and nathan baird i'm doug Maurice, and that was buckeye talk